Welcome back to another episode of the Ecumen. So here we are again. Now we're going to talk about the communion of saints and the forgiveness of sins. So we've talked about the Catholic Church, the marks of the Catholic Church, and the attributes of the Catholic Church. But we're going to hit a topic now where, again, Protestants get confused. You get even pagans who get confused. And so we're going to now talk a little bit more about the saints and forgiveness of sins. So, Catholics get confused too. Yeah, so we'll go and hit all that right now. And again, before we uh, kick it off and start into the questions, let's make sure that we uh, ask you all again, please subscribe to us. Make sure that if you want to get notifications, we, we uh, throw stuff up on the channel, hit the bell on YouTube. Otherwise, follow us on Spotify, SoundCloud, and iTunes. Share with your friends. Share with anyone else that, well, if you want to be controversial, we're happy to, to help you out. So, yeah, give us questions, and we'll answer whatever we can. And uh, we're happy to go look at uh, making other episodes, too, uh, uh, like outside of the Baltimore Catechism. So wherever you want to see stuff, we're happy to go and help you out. So thanks for listening. And here we go with question 170. So now we're looking at the uh, the Apostles' Creed here. What is meant by the communion of saints in the Apostles' Creed? By the communion of saints is meant the union of the faithful on earth, the blessed in heaven, and the souls in purgatory with Christ as their head. So, when we're talking about then this group of people, this is we're going to talk about the fact that the church is more than just the buildings here and the clergy and the laity who follow. The church, obviously, Christ is the head. God is involved the whole time. So God the Father, uh, the Holy Ghost dwelling within the church. And we also have then the three groups here of the faithful um, and ten, I shouldn't say the faithful. We have the three groups of people, souls, because technically angels are in this mix as well. So we look at the three groups here where we have one of them in heaven, and these guys have already made it. So this is angels and saints. We church ha- triumvirate? Church triumphant. Triumphant, yeah. <laughs> not no, triumvirate. Can, no, not that's, triumvirate. <laughs> that's all different. There's only three of them. Yeah. <laughs> Words are hard sometimes. <laughs> so the church triumphant. This is all of the saints who've already been judged to be worthy of heaven, have already made it out of purgatory, and all of the angels who never left God from the beginning. This is the church triumphant. These individuals are sitting right now in adoration of God and still praying for us. So angels and saints are still praying. Scripture actually tells us this in the book of Revelations. We see it. Um, we know that there is a connection here because we even hear uh, so uh, Jesus talking about giving us guardian angels. So, yeah, they can do things for us in terms of they can protect us and they can help us. They can go and do, take care of other tasks that God has assigned to them. But we're looking at beings here that can interact with us. And we talked about it in the angels episode a little bit, but mm-hmm. they're messengers. So what better message than to take the prayers that we say here on earth and say, all right, that's really cute. I see what you're trying to do there, but let me go and try to help you out here and they can help us get it better. Make sure that we have more detail. And so they're helping to act as an intermediary between us and God. The saints can do the same thing. So Mary in heaven, prime example of a saint, top of the saints. So they compare... Mary, so this is the church fathers look at Mary, so they compare her as a speck. If, you know, God was amazing, huge, complex, and whatever, she is but a speck in comparison to this perfection of God. And then when you compare any of us 
or the angels to Mary, we are but specks compared to her glory and what she is. So that's how far below her we are, even though she is practically infinitely below God. (laughs) So when we talk about saints, she's the best example of a saint in heaven who actually prays for us. She perfects the prayers that we offer. She is the mediatrix. I'm trying to think. I don't think that's ever been declared. There are many people who talk about it, but it's never been officially given by a pope that she is the mediatrix of graces. Yes. But we can see how she was a mediatrix because she was the medium by which Christ came to us to give us grace. And by the same token, now her sainted in heaven, we can go back through her to Christ, which is his preferred method of doing it. So the saints provide this medium by which we can work on gaining grace, work on getting closer into the favor of God and get the, we'll go with strength, guidance, perception that we lack. I mean, we, you see this in your daily life. Hey, can you put in a good word for me with the boss? Like, you know what I mean? Like, obviously if I'm an intern in the mail room, you know, he can be the best CEO in the world and maybe he will go. Maybe he does have a true open door policy. <laughs> you know, maybe he does, but he'll still I, take letters. He'll still take prayers. However, since he talks to his secretary every day, she's probably going to be able to give you a little bit of a better picture of what's going on up there and the way that you can actually get in closer. She'll probably translate it in a way in which she knows it will be best received. Yep, and that's where the saints fit. So this is the church triumphant. So then the next body we'll talk about is the next part of the communion of saints. Correct, sorry. Yeah, we're all the body of Christ. Uh, But what they are, so the church triumphant's in heaven. The other part, uh, down in purgatory. So again, this is another one controversial with Protestants because they don't understand why anyone would have to be in purgatory in the first place and then think it's something that's completely made up even though it's in one of the you know, books of the Maccabees, basically, in terms of we know they're praying for the dead, um, even though Luther removed this from his Bible, and now, sorry, Protestants, but all of you are missing books now as a result of his handiwork that he did by himself without any inputs from anyone. Went and asked some rabbinic Jews. Didn't work out well. What book should I have in my Christian book? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so people in purgatory, it's church suffering. And what they're doing is they're being purified. So you look at Revelation twenty one twenty seven. They've nothing. already been judged good enough uh, to make it into heaven one day. Well, yeah, they've been Once they've they been judged been. to be in a state of grace. So they're doing God's will, but they have not done the penances and all of the other requirements necessary to be purified. They haven't. They have not. I guess the easiest way to say it is they haven't. They did not suffer enough in life with Christ and the stain of. The sins that would have been removed with uh, just and due penance in life, those stains of sins remain. They're not mortal, so it didn't affect their state of grace. But nothing unclean gets into heaven. Right, and that's Revelation twenty one twenty seven. Nothing unclean gets into heaven. We have to point out here, because it's important, purgatory sucks too. <laughs> so, what was it that you said uh, the priest told you? is either you or Brian. Hell and purgatory are on the same heating system. Is <laughs> <laughs> that to be Brian? <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. You you don't want to go to purgatory, guys. Like anyone, guys, gals, all you listening out there, and you're like, man, I just hope I skate into purgatory. If that's your goal, 
Well, I mean, on one hand, it makes logical sense. You're like, all right, look, I made it into purgatory. I know there's light at the end of the tunnel, no pun intended. But that really shouldn't be what you're shooting for, right? You shouldn't be shooting for C's. Like, well, you shouldn't be shooting for hellfire. Just try to avoid it altogether. I They're, totally agree. I know. I totally agree. I'm saying you, you can see where the logic is where people go, man, you know, if I'm guaranteed to make it into purgatory, like, cool, it's going to get better one day, you know, <laughs> like, but I think with that comes the great underestimation of how terrible purgatory it would be or is. And I think the requirements to get in, you still have to maintain a state of grace. You still have to be trying to do over and above what you were asked for at base in order that you have any prayer pun intended of actually getting into heaven. Like there's a lot of, did work you that intend that pun? I didn't really think about it until it happened. I just, I kind of blacked out there. So I'm in the zone, man. <laughs> so we, when you're trying to get into heaven, that really should be the number one goal. And in all seriousness, this is the intimacy with Christ that is talked about by a lot of different saints. Thomas Akempis, uh, although not sainted, brings it up in his imitation of Christ. We need to be looking at how we can be close to him and be intimate with him by sharing in everything that he felt here on earth. And here on earth, it was terrible for Jesus. He dies without money. He dies without fame. He dies without any status whatsoever. So no authority. He dies with only a bleeding, broken body with no friends, naked, shivering, suffocating on the cross. Like, yes, bleeding out can hardly breathe. He uh, has... At the foot of the cross, one of his friends, John, his mother, and then Mary Magdalene and Joanna, I believe, are the ones who are actually sitting there right there next to him. The rest of the people there are gawking at him. He's got the guy on the left who's being a total jerk the whole time while he's up there and saying absolutely crude and terrible things. Soldier sticking a sponge of vinegar in his face. And you have the Pharisees saying, come down if you're really God. Come down if you're really God. So he's been going for hours and hours and hours here hasn't eaten, hasn't slept. It's been a terrible, terrible of all days, the most terrible day ever. How could you can't die any worse than that? That's it. I mean, in terms of, in terms of a, a, an actual amount of suffering and pain, died um, like many, several times over. Yeah. And now granted, I say that from the standpoint of if you're going to heaven, like that's the worst way to die. Okay. There are other ways to die. that are really bad going to hell. And those are, I would say, the outcomes of those are worse. Yeah, the, the, the way God looks at it is worse. The actual amount of suffering and pain that was inflicted on one individual, though, no one suffered more than Christ. Yeah, in this world, yes, he, he suffered most. And so, again, like, whether that's through, I mean, through prayer and penance. Prayer, penance, sacraments. Right? That's how you get in heaven. And, yes, you can be in a state of grace. And yes, you know, you can do your, I don't want to say the bare minimum, but, but yes, you can go to Sunday mass, days of holy obligation. And yes, you can pray a rosary, but if you're not doing anything to make your life hard, as particularly in today's uh, society, man, like with how, with how comfortable everything is, central air, central heating, we're never going to be hungry, Hot food. never going to be hungry, never going to be thirsty. There's a water fountain at every corner. You know what I mean? Like, so yes, a hundred percent, you can stay in state of grace and you can do your obligations as far as sacraments go. But if you don't suffer, because we all sin, ideally, not mortally, um, but we still do it. 
but certainly venially, many of us do. How do you remove those? How do you tone for those other than through penance? Yeah, you, you can't make it up to get to the point where you can be perfected um, without actually an acknowledgement of your sins and some level of reparations. And now as Catholics, we're not sitting there saying that the merits of men are going to supplant the works of God. That's impossible. God is, first and foremost, yeah, that's, that's, he uh, did that the greatest of all works. However... The only way good works are possible is we have to be doing it with Christ. Therefore, if we are doing anything that could be considered a good work, that means Christ is working through us. And what more does Christ want than your love? So in the end of all of this, it's love. But how can you love a man if you're not willing to go and profess his entire set of beliefs, submit to all the authorities that he actually said we were to submit to, follow all the commandments that he gave, and further suffer every single one of the torments that he actually suffered on this earth. If you're not willing to do that, how can you sit there and say that I'm a Christian? Well, I think, I think to live is to suffer. I, don't know. I mean, I just got done saying how physically we don't have a lot of sufferings in our day-to-day -day lives, but certainly modern society has created many mental sufferings. So you have a choice. You either suffer with Christ or without him. You know, like either this suffering that you will endure will have purpose right in bringing you essentially closer to christ because jesus certainly suffered a lot in his life a lot right so the more we suffer for his truth the closer we actually become because who suffered the most next to him mary like you know so like so essentially if, if you're suffering you can either let it go to waste and just wallow and and whatever and whine curse and the world and whine and complain and and whatever it is, drink yourself into oblivion, or you can essentially, as you know, pick up your cross and walk up the hill, right? Or you can pick up your cross and just, I don't know, go carry it to a back alley or something. And I don't know, but go up the hill, go up the hill with Jesus. The, the whole point is, is that if you go to Cal Calvary with Christ, with the cross on your shoulder, living as he lived, being hated as he was hated, loving as he loved and loves now, doing all the commandments that he gave, guess what? No purgatorial fire. You have a chance. You can do a straight shot into heaven because you basically decided that he... Some, some amount of finite pain, although it may be a lot, but it is finite for an infinite reward. Because he's infinite. He is an infinite good. And because he's don't, worth more than everything. And if you do not, and but you stay in a state of grace, you will be cleansed with fire. And That's hellfire is bad. So let's not shoot for purgatory, is. everybody. Let's shoot higher than that. But that's only what purgatory is and how we get there. Well, what happens to the people who are there right now? This mm. is the church sorrowful. That's the other part. The church sorrowful sits down there as they're being purified. They know heaven is there. They know they're going to see God. At the moment, they're separated from God, but they actually are comforted, even though they're in pain, knowing that God lies ahead. They're willing. That's the difference. They're willing to be there because they realize out of, love. out of love for God and they realize the justice that, that this is. They, they willingly are there. And from what we hear the doctors talk about is that they cannot earn or merit anything for themselves while they're in purgatory. The only way they get out is they serve the time that they were supposed to serve or we, we here on earth actually do prayers for them 
so that then we can then work with God so that God takes our sacrifices, our penances and our offerings, our prayers and says, okay, I'll knock some time off of those people in purgatory. I believe they can help us though. So there's a chance they can help us. That's one of the theological debates because the problem that is has been presented is no one knows whether or not those poor souls in purgatory can see what happens on earth after they go into purgatory. And the only way they think that would be possible is with angels moving back and forth. And angels if the angels are back. going into purgatory to tell them, then they would see it. But we don't know. So the yeah, one thing we know definitively, they cannot earn any merits for themselves. And the only way they can get shortened on that time is with us. This is where uh, paying to the last penny, there's a handful of verses that are actually directed towards this purification that must occur in order that the imperfect can be made perfect in, uh, for heaven. So that's what the, the, the second part of the whole church is of these these three these three groups. That was a great rabbit hole for such a short lesson. I know, wasn't it though? And then finally the church militant. So I know that sounds combative, but in it the end is. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It is. So that's the the secret, guys, is uh yeah, Job seven. Welcome one. to the Thunderdome. <laughs> <laughs> Every human life is a warfare, is what Job tells us. We are all fighting. Why are we fighting? Because Satan is dead set. He is going to take every single one of us to hell. That's all he wants more than anything else. Maybe, maybe second only to his pride in terms of the fact that he thinks he's right. So it's a mess for any of us who are trying to get through this life into heaven because we have... Again, it goes back to you will suffer in this life. And yes. what To what end ultimately? Because we have in this world people who see suffering, whether that's the poor, whether that's the, you know, the immigrant, whatever, they see suffering, uh, physical or mental, whatever it is, and they despise discomfort, mental anguish, and and uh, despair so much that the world we live in now seeks nothing but pleasure, right? Instead of embracing the suffering that is the world, correcting iniquities where you can, we now live in a world that wants to shut that off, be numb to it, and... You mean they're running from all their perfection opportunities that God is presenting and suffering? Yeah. I mean, like, literally, I mean, again, it goes back to the whole weightlifting thing, right? You know, it really hurts to be in the gym, like, if you're really lifting hard, but that's how you get stronger. If you're sore the next day, you know. That's so. why the fathers and the doctors continue to talk about working through and getting closer and closer to God in all of the focus and all of the pain and all of the effort. All the offerings and consistency that all have to be put together. And then we can basically get stronger. We can work through this and add more virtue and more grace basically is what we're shooting for to become in closer union with God. And then this all, this all works. And as the faithful on earth, that strength, that grace, that unity with Christ is our only hope to get out of here and not get snagged into hell by the demons. Mm -hmm. So Satan is one of the smartest creatures ever created if not the smartest as he was originally created more than anyone else innately did he have that yeah, his sin probably dulled his senses a little bit but who knows and it's no, it doesn't really go it doesn't really matter it doesn't really he matter still has the, the strength so yeah. now is that strength stronger than god's no, no. he's not even on par he's the it's, he, it's not even close to man he was created as the smartest of all creations but now mary is the smartest of all creation because of the grace that she has merited through her union with god 
So now this battle is going on for our souls and our eternal destination. Mary and the saints and the angels on one side, totally unified with God above, and then the demons on the other side. And so that's the fight that's going on. So is this a militant existence? Yes, this is a militant existence. Now, can there be saints on earth? Yes, the Catechism of the Catholic Church actually says there can be saints on earth, which, to be perfectly honest, as long as you're in a state of grace and you're a Catholic, you're considered a saint. Here's the thing. The day I learned the state of the Catholic school system, but the day that I learned that there are only saints in heaven, Right, people seem to yeah oh yeah. Right? I'm, I'm blinking they, here with wide eyes. I'm surprised, oh, yeah. but this is well. I mean, me like with convert if eyes. There, looking if you're at, sitting there, right, and you know you do that, you go to the, the weekly mass or whatever it is, and then they, you know you have All Saints Day and Saint James pray for us, and you know everybody stands up with their little banner with their name, and it's all goofy stuff. But wow, I, oh, oh wow. man, I could the stories I could tell. Um, I'm sure the church fathers would just be jaw dropped, just not even a word, or maybe they just light into Saint us. Saint Teresa, pray for us. That's it. <laughs> oh, it's bad. Uh, <laughs> if it wasn't so sad, it would be really funny. But um, but no, I mean, like that's the idea of saints on earth, right? If you're if you're in a state of grace, you merit going to heaven. Yes, so you then exist in that communion of saints. And so, by the way, and that's the other thing too, is when you're sitting there going like, hey, you need to do better than this. Well, I'm not Padre Pio. And it's like, well, you better hope you are. You could be. You, but Yeah, you could be, but you better hope you are. <laughs> like, because there's no... Uh. So the whole thing that, that we want to take away from this is there are three parts in this communion of saints. There are saints that are in heaven, saints that are in purgatory, and saints that are on earth. And all of these work in harmony for the glory of God, going back to the multiple members of the body of Christ. So we want to take that away and remember there are different aspects of these saints. None of them are gods. We don't worship them. We're going to keep talking through a bunch of the other uh, pieces here. But these saints that we're speaking of are those individuals, angels, state of grace, completely unified with God is where they're trying to go. And that's what makes them saints and then we stay in communion because we're all in communion with god that's why we're in a state of grace we mm-hmm. have that luxury all right question 171 through the communion of saints what can the blessed in heaven do for the souls in purgatory and the faithful on earth through the communion of saints the blessed in heaven can help the souls in purgatory and the faithful on earth by praying for them so we know that again in revelations and here they're looking at maccabees that there are prayers that are going on that can benefit the faithful. Because again, there's no reason to pray if you're actually all up in heaven together because you're right there, you can talk to God, you can see God. It's the beatific vision. However, those prayers are helping the rest of us who cannot see God, that need faith, that need hope, because we don't know how this is all going to turn out. We want it to go well. We're going to work for it to go well. But the best likelihood we have of success don't do this alone. This is being a Christian is not about going it alone. All right. This is not like a, I don't know what you call it. The ninja warrior thing or this, this lone wolf. (laughs) That's, that's not our lot to be Christians is to be part of this communion is to be with the rest of the faithful, to know that we rely on clergy 
to offer the Mass. We rely on clergy to offer sacraments. We rely on a community to keep us honest, to help us to go through and do communal things, whether that is the Stations of the Cross, whether that's a potluck, whether that's Bible study, whether that's education for our children, whether that's just sitting there and talking through difficult problems, because all of us look at the world and it's stressful. And yes, God is number one and he's what we're living for. He's the point. And the saints are there to help us. But overarching, we're looking at saints in heaven and looking for the faithful on earth to have again that unified body. So I'm not going to just make some prayers in heaven and never talk to anyone down here because then I'm not doing any service. I'm not doing any um, works of mercy for all the faithful here who are still trying to get to heaven. I'm not doing any works of mercy for the purgatorial saints that, yeah, that are on really, their way up. You don't get to heaven and then just, man, I'm asleep for three days. <laughs> <laughs> it is yeah. something to contemplate when you think about the fact that demons and angels and saints uh, in heaven never sleep. So the demons down in hell never sleep. The angels up in heaven and the saints up in heaven never sleep. They're always at work. There's no need to sleep because they can do whatever they want. Yeah, without going too much down the rabbit hole of useless thought experiments, I think also as well, those in heaven uh, don't need relief of any type. They're sustained by God indefinitely. Yeah, whereas those in hell get very wary and they just never have the opportunity to get rest. Sucks to suck. (laughs) (laughs) So overall, we have all the works of mercy, but particularly the one that is used uh, by the saints and angels in heaven is prayer. They are helping to translate our requests, to perfect our requests, to bolster our requests, to make sure that we can get the responses we need. Because it's one of those things where... It's also too, why wouldn't you... Why would you not want to use those people? Yeah. They're there for the express purpose of helping us to do God's will and helping to relay our poorly formed thesis, if you will, you know, they're literally there with the phone up, just waiting for us to pick up this end and say, and when they get up there, when they get up there, God's like, all right, cool. Peter got you here. All right. You're going to be the patron saint of this. All right, Jake, you're going to be over here. You're going to be patron saint. Like they get, they get sectors of fire, right? So yeah. if you are, if you have been diagnosed with cancer, right? If you are Irish, if you, you've got a patron saint to be, that is there to look after you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think the thing we don't really think of, or at least I, I think Protestants don't really consider it. And any of the, the Catholics who are out there that I assume there are a handful somewhere that don't use saints. I mean, who knows? It's so weird in terms of the communications and maybe more. Um, but it's like four out of five don't even go to mass, <laughs> let alone two thirds don't believe in the actual of presence those, yeah. the Eucharist. So what you're looking at though, what, what I'm trying to get at is all of us have our circles where we hang out with people and you've dealt with people before where maybe they were an acquaintance and they were trying to say something or ask you something or had at some point sent you an email and they're like, Hey, could you help me with this? And you were like, dude, man, I don't have any freaking time for this. I don't, I have other things. I have people who are, have been nicer to me in the past. I have people that have done a lot more to keep close to me and to align themselves with all the things that we need to do to take care of these other tasks. And you aren't going to respond until one of your close buddies who you actually really respect comes to you and he's like, no, seriously, this guy really needs help. And I can totally vouch for him. I'll help you. So uh, what he needs is this. And you're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll get that for you. You never would have helped that 
third party as a second party unless you actually had a close friend, a close confidant to tell you this is how to do it and vouch. And in the end, you got to remember that's what these angels and saints are doing in heaven. They vouch for you. And they were there specifically to do these these things. Yeah, Jesus is bound by the Ten Commandments to honor his father and his mother. And when Mary comes to him and says, I have chosen the soul. To do X, I need help here. Then he'll honor it. That's what he does. And the, all, the only proof you need, Protestants, if you're going, where is that in the Bible? The very first miracle. Marriage at Cana. So this is John chapter 2. When she, read that. Says, when, she, when she says they are out of wine, and he says, what would you have me do, woman? It's not my time yet. And then she goes and gets the servants, who are us, mm-hmm. and she says, do what he wills of you. Yeah. And because she asked that of her son, he did it. That's yep. right there. It's literally, I mean, you couldn't write a better story. Only one person could write a story that good. God. But, yeah. Yep. So, let's remember that. There's a lot of interplay that we have with those angels and saints. And in the end, we need their support in order that we may succeed. Doing this alone is crazy. And really, the first and foremost advocate that we have on the face of this earth that was given us by God is the Blessed Mother. If you want more detail on that, go read True Devotion to Mary by St. Louis de Montfort. I will link that. And you want to read The Glories of Mary, which is St. Alphonsus's book, where he actually breaks down the Hail Holy Queen and does it in a way where he then calls out a bunch of different examples and a bunch of different references to all sorts of saints. It is one of the coolest books out there to actually go into detail on who she is and how the saints look at her and her role in salvation to complement what God does. So why would a saint be so important? He explains it. And I I think that the that I like Louis de Montfort's better mm-hmm. in terms of it seems way more like intimate in a way with just like it feels Peter, like me and me and her. Peter the Red. Yeah. <laughs> Peter the well red. <laughs> Versus like the the Alphonsus is where he's giving, there's tons of examples and tons of quotes. I cannot remember. It's hundreds of quotes. If I remember correctly that he has in that book on Mary, but it's amazing. Either way, check those out because you're going to figure out what she's doing and why she's praying for us and how she's praying for us. And it's really something to help you. So this is really interesting, right? Pretty recently, right? Mary sinless conceived without sin. Mm -hmm. This was thrown very rather snarkily at me. Um, some time ago, somebody was just like, yeah, why would I talk to her? You know, anything, anything about, you know, this is a great Fulton Sheen quote, right? That I sent this person, right? This is a, it's Fulton Sheen. I mean, Fulton he's Sheen great. Is amazing. Saint soon. He'll be a saint soon. Um, well, it'll be, it'll be, um, how do you say it? articulated, communicated. He That's already right. is most likely. Um, but, uh, she knows what sin is. Not by the experience of its fall, not by tasting its bitter regrets, but by seeing what it did to her divine son. Oh, so she knows better than anyone how bad sin is. So when you're talking about, man, why would, you know, how can she relate to me and like my pitiful experience? She got to see it's, she got to see the effects of your sin on her son firsthand, literally saw what your sin did to her son. Yeah, it's it's so cool. that When we look at a lot of these saints in terms of how they interact with us and where they come in to help all different people, and I'm talking the ones who have actually died and gone to heaven, 
how they come back and assist. It's really amazing when you actually look at the history and the writings on those topics. So there's all sorts of stuff where these guys show up. St. Mercurius is still one of the coolest and St. Basil. So Mercurius shows up and, uh, to Basil in prayer when he's dealing with Julian the Apostate, who's causing all manner of issues. And when he shows up... A lot of mayhem. A lot of mayhem. Oh, yeah. He shows up and uh, has basically uh, swords is when he sees him first. And then he disappears while he's in prayer. So Basil's in prayer. Mercurius disappears and comes back. When he comes back, his swords are red with blood. And then Basil finds out that Julian the Apostate fell in battle. He's like, ha. Oh, and he in. fell. It was like there was a lance. So St. Mercurius is, is depicted as... He has his two swords, and then there's also that lance, like with. So it's really interesting that Saint Macarius, because I always heard for a long time it's not true, but that Saint George was the only, only saint depicted mounted, which obviously is not true. Saint Macarius is multiple times over. So is uh, Martin of Tours. That's true. So Saint Martin. Well, he's but I guess he's not in battle. Saint Martin of Tours. That's true. Yet. That's yeah, fair. Not in battle, but um, but yeah, Saint Macarius. That's maybe just one like, day Martel, right? <laughs> there's so many cool things read your history books folks it, it's what makes the catholic church come alive so moving on and going back to uh you know getting away from the tangents oh my goodness this is amazing we had a five question lesson. we're doing good <laughs> question 172 should the faithful on earth through the communion of saints honor the blessed in heaven and pray for them like I'm gonna spoiler yes <laughs> absolutely yes the answer here the faithful on earth should I, should I the faithful on earth through the communion of saints should honor the blessed in heaven and pray to them because they are worthy of honor as friends of God and will help the faithful on earth guys let's they made not, it I mean we we yes. talk about how great Michael Jordan is or know? George Washington or, or name a person who's successful well I mean like in that the whole thing is like you know you make it to the hall of fame or you get your number retired and then everybody looks at you in the rafters and goes wow you remember how awesome I, yeah I was here at a game that he played in like yeah I mean we do it again we do it all the time for non-important things so but here's here's why a wouldn't you honor the people that achieved the ultimate achievable goal of the only goal of this life and you know what I can't do and they made it with Michael Jordan so I can't pray to him because it won't do anything. And so why would I go down that road? It, which You can't it, even write him a letter. Be like, hey, dude, would you yeah. like throw me a little money? <laughs> like, but yeah, what like, you can do is when you, you have, teach my son how to shoot a free throw, like you can't even write to the guy. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? By contrast, though, when you have a saint who has already been judged worthy of God, that means this person has already been given the graces by God to be made worthy of heaven, to be relieved and freed of all of their imperfections, this person is now in the good graces of God. They're as close to a buddy of God as you are ever going to find. And in now, the sight of God. Yeah, who's sitting in the beatific vision, who actually can practically whisper to God and say, hey, by the way, uh, you know Jake's brand you? He needs something right now. Why wouldn't you ask that for assistance? Come on, you got you to gotta ask him for help. These... People can help you. That's I why there's also too the important thing is like, well, why do I have to pray to one of those saints? Why can't I pray directly to God? If God is all knowing and He is everywhere, why is like, all right, cool, cut the middleman. But it's also part of the thing too, where God's like, I want to see like, are you are you humble enough to humble yourself before another creature too, that you know is in heaven, and ask for help, right? Or because quite often too, Protestants always say like, I would never pray. I only pray to God. And again, it goes right back to like the whole authority thing, man, like the whole schismatic or the heretic thing. 
where you're just sitting back and you're just going where somebody's like, uh, it, it's just, it smacks of pride. Be like, I only been the no king, but Jesus, you know, like battle cry, the American revolution, by the way, but no king, but Jesus and God's sitting there going, Hmm. Hmm. I see that. I see that. Hmm. So here's another one of the books that Martin Luther removed Ecclesiasticus and the verse that is used in the catechism here is let us now praise men of renown and our fathers and their generation. Even in scripture, men of renown is a pretty, like, I mean, that's pretty awesome. It's pretty cool. So we are invited to honor those people who have gone before us and been deemed worthy by our God of being saved. That's a really notable achievement. It's an achievement all of us want to share in. And these people are willing to help us because they've been commanded to help us because they're supposed to pray for us. That is literally in scripture that they are supposed to pray for us. We are prayed to pray for other people. And the commandments of God are not relieved when one makes it into heaven. Those commandments are all still in effect, which is why Jesus still has to abide by his commandments. So either way, saints, pray to them, honor them. They're and, great. And this, and again, this is not worship. We're not worshiping these. Like this is people. They're creatures. These are not God. We worship God alone. We adore well, God I think alone. That too, I think that too comes with the whole idea of how Protestants have so messed up. They don't have a sacrifice in the mass, right? That's what worship is, right? We are, we are, we are renewing the sacrifice that Jesus made willingly to his father. We are partaking in that, right? That is worship service. But infinity. For pro- You're giving infinity. This is huge. It's, there's but nothing Protestants, bigger. they don't have that. So what is their worship service? What is it? It is prayer. And it is a, it is prayer, Bible study and singing. That's what their worship service is. Right? So they sing a few hymns, they read a passage and they pray and they think that that's worship. So when we say that we pray to saints, they automatically cannot help themselves but conflate the two. That's true. I have not focused on that part before and never considered it. But if that is the pinnacle of your worship and you prayer. see a Catholic doing prayer to a saint and you're like, well, that's terrible. The thing is, is Catholics are looking at worship in a whole different light. We're talking a much, much bigger, deeper, bigger, it's, it's deeper just... view than any Protestant has ever known and than any Protestant founder or protestantism could ever communicate and protestants if you're listening hopefully this makes it clear to you why we don't really see the point and i mean if i was protestant why do i why would i even go to the chapel on sunday why wouldn't i just stay at home with my big family and read the bible and say a prayer reasons why i stopped going right there there was no point there's nothing i could do there that i couldn't do anywhere else whereas now as a catholic Guess what I can't only do? Only show in town. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, there's only I one place in town. I can't offer the mass in my house. Like, I have to have a priest nearby to do it, and then everything else makes sense. So, moving on, question 173. Can the faithful on earth, through the communion of saints, relieve the sufferings of the poor souls in purgatory? Yes. The How faith- awesome is that, too, by the way? It gives us a purpose. We have so much purpose. Our job is to take as many souls as we can with us. Our job is to take the strengths that we have. And one of those strengths that we have been given is the ability to offer prayers for the poor souls in purgatory. That so is amazing. Too. It's so, you know, like poor souls in purgatory have been judged that ultimately they, w- they are worthy to enter heaven after they suffer their temporal cleansing. And let's right? go. Yeah. Well, and we'll hit the answer because we didn't, we didn't say that. So let's go. Oh, and, sorry. And, yeah. Yeah. The faithful on earth through the communion of saints can relieve the sufferings of the souls in purgatory by prayer, fasting, and other good works, 
by indulgences and by having masses offered for them. So now I'm going to hit indulgences because prayer, fasting, good works, and masses kind of make sense. Mass being it's the infinite sacrifice we're offering Christ. There are so many merits and graces that come out of that. Masses are the primo top of the line. That's what you give if you want to go and help somebody out. Prayer and fasting come next because in the end you, we have the Blessed Mother and the Hail Mary and the Rosary. And then fasting is the favorite of all of the penances that we can possibly offer to God. The good works, this is our uh, corporate works of mercy and our spiritual works of mercy. So that goes into more prayers and offerings and more helping the sick and the poor and everything else. But we said indulgences. Again, indulgences are only a remittance of temporal punishment, that's purgatorial punishment, for sins that have already been confessed and forgiven. So I cannot get an indulgence if I'm in a state of mortal sin. I can only get benefits from indulgences if I'm in a state of grace. And those indulgences, the only thing they're changing for me does not do anything with that sin. It does everything with the damage inflicted upon myself from that sin. And that means that no longer does purgatory have to burn off those imperfections because the indulgence is actually through prayers and masses is what actually removes those rough edges. So that's why I want to emphasize that whole indulgence piece again. Indulgences, you say. Martin Luther has entered the chat. Again. Uh, Again. Well, I think the whole idea is, too, that it's such a talk about propaganda. It's such a, a misunderstood thing is the indulgence is... I mean, you already hit the nail on the head, right? You know, it's a sin that's already been forgiven, right? Or you're in a state of grace. And confessed. And, it, and confessed. Yeah, like, you know what I mean? All, the only way you get indulgences. We are, you already hit the nail on the head. We're not going to rehash that. But also, too, is it's not a 60-day indulgence, right? Which means, oh, 60 days is taken off your time in purgatory. It is the equivalent of doing 60 days of penance. That's what the indulgence is. It is the equivalent of if you did 60 days worth of penance or seven years, right? Because there's varying indulgences. We don't know how that translates, you know, on the purgatory system. Uh, it's not good because apparently even if you wait, I think it's like th- there was a story and I cannot remember all the details. I don't know if I can dig it up. I will put it in the comments here. But a story of. Because uh, maybe seven years worth of penance is only one day out of purgatory. Well, like, that's the thing. Knows? Two guys, so two guys actually wanted, uh, basically made an agreement that they were going to offer uh, Gregorian masses to get the other out of purgatory if the, the other one died first. And apparently the um, one guy dies and the other guy starts offering the masses immediately. And the other guy shows up and basically says it felt like it's been hundreds of years. What are you waiting for? So, yeah, that whole well, time that's thing. what happens when you're outside of time. I saw Interstellar. I saw how confusing <laughs> the, what is that, the cataract, is that what they call it? Back to the Future, man. That's that's how you know what time, how, wait, maybe not. Okay. Interstellar. <laughs> I don't the remember. The little bedroom. Called, great movie. But anyways. Um, yeah, outside of time and space, nothing applies anymore. This is that whole thing about... The uh, when you, but that's to... the whole thing, in, in, because it's such a simplistic um attack on purgat on on purgatory and indulgences. You'd be like, oh really, really? Because you you know because you fasted, like you're telling me that you get twenty days off. And it's like purgatory's not the county jail, bro. Like <laughs> I don't have to tell you, man. Like this is just saying this is translating what you and I cannot understand because it's outside of time and space into something we can't understand, which exactly. is like if you. If you do this in a state of grace, sin's already uh, confessed, forgiven, right? If you do this, 
it will equal if you did a month long fast. Yep. Right? Cool. Yes. We don't ha- know have any clue how that actually translates into a temporal situation in purgatory. But we've been told to do it. We've oh, been, been told. Yeah, we've been told to. And again, we don't need to understand, man. Like that's a, just that's do. the beauty. Just do. That's the beauty. It's not so, on you to understand. What is the so what's the um I heard Mike talking about this on the restoring the faith. It was talking about how Marines are supposed to take commands. And, and the, instant. And there are three but basically, I don't know. I didn't obey a lot of commands in the Marines. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so bad example. No, it's like the way, instant obedience to orders, yeah. The whole thing is instant and, and willing. The whole thing is is that be eager to do it. The whole thing is we were told to do it. So just go. Take care of it as opposed to trying to go and rationalize this out and turn it around is one or whatever. The beauty, so. It is one of the beauties of uh, military service, though, when you know they break, they break down a recruit and then when they build them back up and then be like, hey, go over here right now. It's done right away. It's not like, well, why am I having to go over here? Like, what do I get out of it? What's your motive here? Like, shut up and go do it. Yep. It's better for everyone if you just do it right now. And that's what it's like being a Catholic. Now, granted, I say that with the consideration here for just follow the commandments that we were given. The aspect I would say that we were supposed to think and contemplate is as we learn all this stuff, never stop learning. That's why you're all here, right? Listening to this channel. Again, keep subscribing, please. Make sure we get other people subscribing. Share all this content out there because we want other people to keep learning about the faith. It's the best way we can all come into a shared understanding and be like Christ. So really good stuff. So let's move on to these last two questions here. Question 174. Can the faithful on earth help one another? The faithful on earth as members of the mystical body of Christ can help one another by practicing supernatural charity and the spiritual and corporal works of mercy. Supernatural charity is Christ's charity. That is the third of the divine virtues, the ones we can only receive from God himself. He gives it to us because we're willing to accept it and we want to go and exact the benefits and the merits that Christ gave us from the cross on everyone we can. So we become willing victims. We become willing sacrifices. We give of ourselves out of love for others because all we want for them is to have God. That's that's because God is most important. We think God should be with everybody, with every soul. And if we can help that along, we do that. The spiritual and corporate works of mercy are the ways we actually go through and live out that that charity. We live it through, again, fasting. It hurts. We live through doing these prayers on our knees, on wood floors, on stony floors, out in the ground, wherever, no pads, what, whatever you do, it hurts. You just keep going through all the different things we do through ways that we can give spiritual works of mercy. And then on the corporal side, we help the poor, we help the sick, we have to feed the hungry. Just keep going. All these things are out there. Like it's oh, so good in terms of all the ways we can help each other on earth. And if everyone did this, if everyone, again, going back to just shutting up and just doing what you're told, if everyone had the humility to just shut up and just take care of these charitable works, how beautiful would the world be? I think, too, the other thing that's awesome about this is. This really goes back to another conflict Catholics have with Protestants, right? This whole idea of, they say, you know, works and graces are unmerited and you can't, you, you can do nothing to avoid them, all this stuff. Um, you know, God is just, God is merciful, and God says, all right, you're using your free will that I gave you and you're turning away from me. And I'm not going to stop you, Right. I've dro- I've dropped the breadcrumbs. You turned away from them. Okay, all right. I I'm letting you make your bed, and you will lie in it, right? And how awesome is it? This goes back again to the whole praying to saints in heaven, right? 
if you are a person on <clears throat> on this earth, and if you're looking at your brother next door, do something he shouldn't be doing, um, living his life not in accordance with God's laws, and you're sitting there and you are doing penance on his behalf, if you are offering masses for his soul, if you are praying for the intercession of the Blessed Mother, right? Now, God is sitting there going, hmm, Jake has someone that uh, wants him to uh, be better. Hmm. Jake's doing all this stuff for, or, uh, you know, this person's doing all this stuff for Jake's behalf right here, right? All this, you know, meriting graces that Jake has not merited for himself. All right, I'll give him these graces. Maybe he can get his head out of his rear end. What's the best way to prove that words are legitimate, that they mean something? You see works that actually reflect it. What's really interesting is that the uh, the lesson today, so the epistle from the the mass of the day here, uh, middle of Lent, Jeremiah 17.10 was the last verse. It just stuck out to me. I, the Lord alone, probe the mind and test the heart to reward everyone according to his ways, according to the merit of his deeds, works, says the Lord Almighty. Deeds, it said, didn't say works. <laughs> <laughs> So well, I mean, it's it's the it's the great I, it's the great thing that like you know if if you as a person walk away from the truth, you know there's still hope, right? And it's not because God's gonna go come here, you little rascal, and I'm gonna give you a big hug. Like God's gonna be like, all right, man, you don't want like, it. I want you here, but I want you to want to be here, right? Okay, cool. But then you've got all these other people, and then you've got his his mother coming over and being like, hey, this person over here is doing a whole lot of good in your name for his sake. Why don't we uh, help him take his blinders off? And then God goes, all right, cool. I guess I'll just knock Saul off his horse real quick and get this show going. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. So again, this is a very symbiotic relationship. All of us can help lift each other up. This is the platoon mentality. This is the team mentality. This is the fact that all of us have to be interdependent on each other. Again, this is not a lone wolf thing. Do not think that we can go at this just uh, all by our lonesome and have any prayer of doing this with Christ alone. Like, no, there we got to take care of all of each other because really it's about God getting as many souls as he can in heaven. So absolutely we can help each other and let's continue to focus on that. Now let's hit that last question here before we roll out for the day. So, Question 175, what is meant in the Apostles' Creed by the forgiveness of sins? By the forgiveness of sins in the Apostles' Creed, it is meant that God has given to the church through Jesus Christ the power to forgive sins no matter how great or how many they are, if sinners truly repent. So this is going to be another sticking point for, I know, Protestants. I know I had trouble with this coming in. I think one of the most eye-opening aspects of this problem really happens to be the amount of times that the Bible actually calls out the requirement to publicly confess sins. The only way that we can be forgiven is that we absolutely have to, beyond a shadow of a doubt, confess our sins in public to someone else. And that person then can take what we've said to God. And the verse that they actually use in the catechism here is, Receive the Holy Ghost, whose sins you shall forgive, they are forgiven him, and whose sins you shall retain, they are retained. 
I don't have that power over you, Jake. You don't have that power over me. No one out there, Catholic or Protestant or anything else, has any of that power, which means there's got to be a select few individuals who have a certain something, shall we say, with the ability to actually forgive or retain sins. The, you'd probably be able to take that group of people nowadays and trace it all the way back. Yeah. So the end state you end up having here is a group of people that actually were... And not, it's not that they've been given just given power. They've been tasked. Yeah, actually required. Like, it's they're actually, required. It's not like, hey, if you want to, that's cool. If you don't want to, that's also cool, man. Like, they've been told. You have to. Do it. It's a mortal sin if they refuse to actually hear your confession, by the way. Rudolf Haas is the best case of that that I have heard of, where this is the guy who's the commandant at Auschwitz, who oversees the murder of a million people. Murder, rape, uh, I mean. Everything. Ugh. It's terrible. Yeah. And you're talking and physical abuse. So like, so it go, it, every mental, everything about it is evil to the core. And this guy's a fallen away Catholic and finally Nuremberg and all the other stuff happens. And this guy's going to die now, but this is the best part about the death Justice penalty, by will the be way. Served. Well, and the death penalty gives a man a moment to sit there and go, maybe I should make amends and get everything sorted before yeah, I go. Yeah, because if it's just life in prison, why would he confess? Because there's always tomorrow. There's always tomorrow. And maybe he gets out. And maybe he gets out. And But there's always tomorrow and there's always tomorrow. And the death penalty goes, hey, dude, literally, there's, there is no tomorrow. So that's have that. You, have you thought about? <laughs> yeah. And the end state was that when the death penalty then is... is uh, basically ordered or he is sentenced the next thing he decides to do is he actually has a moment of contrition right before his execution where he says i need a priest and he asks basically there are multiple priests who are asked to do his confession and the first handful refuse so mortal sins so you have this guy who's now in a moment of contrition sitting there saying i have just wrecked everything and offended god and i want to go and make amends these guys commit mortal sins, avoiding this mortal sinner. Fortunately, he finally gets a priest. It takes multiple hours for him to go through and confess everything this guy could recall, probably going through not only, you know, Auschwitz, but entire general confessions. He closes everything out, gets his sacraments, and ultimately dies, potentially in a state of grace. But it was because that priest had the obligation, regardless of how horrible the deeds were that Rudolf Haas had committed, in the end, it's because he came back with a contrite heart to God. Napoleon ends up doing something very similar. Napoleon, after his life, even imprisoning a pope or two, <laughs> actually ends up getting to a point where he ends up having to write a letter and gets a priest uh, by the graces of the pope who sends a priest out to him. And he was able to actually reconcile and come back into the church and take his last sacraments before he died as well. The whole point here, we have to love the sinner, hate the sin. And that's what confession is giving us the ability to do we can sit there and separate this evil deed from the man because what the this confession is doing in the forgiveness of sins it's cutting off these evil pieces isn't that the people. whole thing during the the general judgment that those who confess their sins and were forgiven you know they're not made public right demons can't use those to accuse Yes, because they've already been confessed and they're already gone. So yeah. the only ones that remain then to be public and put in front of the entire heavenly court is everyone who everyone. never actually confessed. Everything. So all the things you think you're going to keep secret ultimately will be revealed. 
And it's not just John who talks about these priests having that obligation, that duty, and that power to hear sins confessed and then ultimately to take those sins confessed and forgive them in the person of Christ. Paul also brings up the same thing in 2 Corinthians. And he says, To whom you have pardoned anything, I also, for what I have pardoned, if I have pardoned anything for your sakes, I have done it in the person of Christ. In persona Christe, he actually has the power to forgive sins. The average guy doesn't have the power to do that. Like, I can sit there and say to someone, Hey, man, I forgive you. But my forgiveness does not absolve, like, anyone who offended God of that that wrong. That still sits there. Well, I mean, it goes back to the whole idea, right? The whole idea of purgatory is I can throw a baseball through your window and I can be sorry and you can forgive me, but I still got to replace the window, right? Now let's look at the whole, do I have the, now say I throw a baseball through your neighbor's window and then you look at me and go, I forgive you. Well, it's not yours to forgive, dude. Like you have to go to someone else. And we were talking about this today before the show. Do we really want to roll the dice on just being like, no, God knows me. I talked to God. I, 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 I said I'm sorry, and I know he, he said I'm good. You really want to roll the dice? Or do you want to hear? Or, or do you, that maybe, you know, that you were perfectly contrite and that, you know. How do you know uh, you're going to get that? I would much rather have a priest just sit there and go, and you're absolved of your sins. After I legitimately do what I'm supposed to do according to the Because here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. When we do that and when we rationalize and be like, oh, man, I talked to God and I, I was sorry. And you may, by the way, like if you're in a car wreck, like, you know what I mean? There's not a priest around and you're sitting there and the last thoughts are an act of contrition and, you know, and saying prayers. Okay. Contrite heart. You know, I think that'll probably get counted for you. It's not guaranteed. But it's not guaranteed because here and here's the other part too. say it's not in a state of emergency like that. What is here's a big part of of confession. What does the priest give you? What it's a it's a contract. You're absolved. Here is your penance to go do. Right. You know, if I sit there and go, man, God, I'm really sorry. Whew, I feel better. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, no. Like I don't. I, I don't then go and be like, hmm, for penance today. Mm. Well, and this this is why the conclusion is made regarding Luther and the the uh, snow covered dung hills of that believing that no one was ever cleaned which is completely opposite to the Catholic way and the forgiveness of sins, meaning we are freed of our sins. And this is also then Luke 17, 14, go show yourselves to the priests. And it came to pass as they went, they were made clean. Like we are shown multiple examples of these priests having the obligation to take care of the individuals and wash them of their sins. As long as they follow all of the commandments and they uh, uh, obey the proper matter and form of the sacrament, this is how we set ourselves up so we can take the Eucharist, so we can be in a state of grace and we can die and go to heaven as opposed to going to hell. Forgiveness of sins is absolutely essential. We are not talking of forgetting of sins necessarily from the standpoint of uh, we don't have to like we don't have to learn from what we did wrong. No, we do have to learn from what we did wrong. Um, and we're not talking about it from the standpoint of, well, they're just he, God just ignores your sins. No, he doesn't ignore them. There's nothing he ignores. He sees everything. You want it absolved, not just an ign- like ignoring of it. So, and I mean, it's the whole thing too with confession and the and forgiveness of sins is you have to go there, right? You have to get on your knees in the confessional. That is physical. You have to then cross yourself. You have to speak it aloud. That is the verbal. 
You have to say your act of contrition. It's a spiritual, you know what I mean? It's the combination of all three things. Physical, verbal, spiritual, right? It's the same thing in the Hail Mary. Like that's why there's so much power behind those those acts. Whereas if I'm just laying in bed going, <laughs> you know, like it's it doesn't have the same efficacy. Like So just as a future look ahead here, we're gonna get into confession and the sacraments. So be prepared for that one in future episodes. So then that covers everything we're going to go over today for this lesson. So again, uh, if you liked what you listened to, please throw comments, throw likes on us. Make sure to ask us questions. Subscribe. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes. We are happy to make this content. And if there's other stuff that you want to hear us talk about, throw us a note, throw us a comment. We'll be happy to uh, put something together. So uh, thank you again, everybody, for listening. And as always, St. Joseph, pray pray for for us. us.